Hello and welcome to Finding Perfect Property, Diary of a Buying Agent. I am your host, Camilla Dell. I've worked in the London residential property market since 2002. In 2007, I founded Blackbrick, a Mayfair-based buying agency assisting buyers to find and secure the right property on the best possible terms. We've assisted over 500 clients to successfully purchase over a billion pounds worth of property. And over the next few episodes, I'll be sharing insights into the world of buying agents and introducing you to our little black book of industry contacts, professionals at the top of their field who will be sharing their top tips on how to purchase property the right way. Hello and welcome to Finding Perfect Property, Diary of a Buying Agent. I'm thrilled to welcome Sandy Mitchell to today's episode. Sandy is the founding director of Redbook Agency. Redbook is the go-to agency for clients embarking on a new property project. Whether you need interior designers, architects, builders, technical advice, or even a full project team, they give you immediate access to the proven best and carefully align you with the ideal talent. Sandy has launched over 250 significant projects in London and the home counties, including his own derelict grade two listed 13th century manor house in West Berkshire, which he restored in 2003. This experience gave Sandy inspiration to launch Redbook. Welcome, Sandy. I'm thrilled to have you on Finding Perfect Property today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Camilla. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. They say that death, divorce and moving house are the three most stressful things in life. But I would argue that doing work to a property should also be on the list. I'd love to hear more about what inspired you to set Redbook up and your own experience back in 2003 with your own renovation project. Well, this was our dream house. We were lucky enough to stumble on a tiny little farm with an ancient derelict grade two listed house on it. And we fell in love instantly. We had to have it. What we didn't know at that point was that the first builders we had to look at it were convinced it was going to fall flat, the whole thing, before we did any work to it. Nonetheless, we, we, we bought it. And then the first thing you have to do when you buy a property that's involving a project is get your team together and work out how to, to start the whole process. And I, I had a fabulous contacts book. I was very fortunate from my earlier career in the media. And I had done lots of projects in London, so I thought I was had a head start on most people. Yeah. But nonetheless, this was a different kind of project. It was, as you say, a very old house, 800 years old, and in the country, and listed. And I therefore started asking people who I thought should know how to set about this. And I asked estate agents. I asked lawyers. I asked all the clever people I could think of. And what none of them could tell me was who the best, not only who the best architect and interior designer and landscape designer and contractor for the job was, but several of them. I wanted to compare them because to get the right person, you need the right chemistry. You also need the right fees. And to find that, you just have to meet a couple of candidates. Mm. And a few of them came up with names who I interviewed and they, and they, they, they weren't particularly impressive. And it, it occurred to me that this was a challenge at the very early stage of owning a new property or about to buy one where you want quickly the information on who the best people are and the steps to take and I thought it was extraordinary there was nowhere out there no one out there in the world offering that and that was the seed of the idea for Redbook. Brilliant 
Fantastic. And how did you eventually pick the right team for your project? Or did you have to choose people, fire them, choose new people, fire them until you got it right? Well, it took a lot longer and was much harder work than it should be. Um, And it took many months of interviews and sort of missteps. And and, and I have to say that one of the risks one faces, um, particularly with a listed building, is the temptation to speak at an early stage to the local authority or the conservation officer who's responsible for listed buildings and to say, well, what's your view? What Can we do this? Can we do that? Mm-hmm. The trouble with that is that um, they might tell you what they want before you have an idea of what you want. Mm. And you need to know what you want and create a narrative around that and present your idea and vision and your architects in the best possible light so that you can bring the conservation officer on board with your plan and hopefully convince them that you're going to be a sympathetic owner and treat the building properly so it's it's very easy to make that misstep Uh, unfortunately we didn't but and we got there in the end but it it took a lot longer than it would if there were had been a red book around in those days absolutely and how long did the whole project take you it was a good two years a good two years yeah and we've just done another one which... Oh my goodness. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> I love projects. That's my trouble. And are you still, is it still home now? It's still home now. Amazing. And do you love it? Is it everything you Absolutely hoped it would be? Absolutely adore it. And I get home from London where I spend most of the week and every single time my shoulders drop with, as I relax and I think this is heaven. No, it's, it's so it was worth the hard, it was worth the hard it, work. It's so worth it. And you launched your business idea from it. And exactly. It was the birth of a what's turned out to be a great business brilliant brilliant story from from a founder um i want to move on to um the cost of of, of doing work because um, obviously that's a factor when clients are looking at buying a property if it requires work you know before they put in an offer we always advise clients to really get a handle of what that's going to cost them i think at the moment in the current market obviously the costs of doing work have really gone up how's this impacting your clients decisions at the moment are they Worried about the cost of doing work? Are they scaling back their ambitions because things are more expensive these days? We haven't had a single client pause or scale back a project because of escalating costs. What we have seen is um, one or two instances out of the 70 or so live projects we have at the moment, one or two instances where clients at the outset, so before really launching the project, have said, do you know what? Um, I'm in a position where I can sit and wait for a year or two. I've only just bought the property. I'm living abroad or I live somewhere else. Um, I'm going to just sit on the sidelines and see what happens for a bit with commodity prices, with labour prices, with building costs. So we've seen a couple of cases of that, but nothing I would say, I wouldn't say a sort of cold wind has blown through the project world. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens this time next year when inflation uh, has a, more of an impact. But equally, we may see that the escalation in costs, building costs, that we've seen dramatically over the last year or two actually either flat, or flattens or even um, the curve turns downwards. Okay. Well, if you had to, I know this is a really difficult question, but if you had to sort of give a range of what it costs these days to do work to a property in central London, what would that range be? So we guide clients on this both before purchase and and afterwards. And we find it very helpful to categorise 
according to the specification or if you like the level of luxury of a project because it's it would be easy to say well it's going to cost you x per square foot but that's a bit bit meaningless because you might have a completely idea of what your result yeah. is from ikea kitchen versus yeah. small bone yeah <laughs> so we had one wonderful client who spoke about the ikea to oligarch scale oh brilliant <laughs> <laughs> ikea being a zero on the scale and oligarch being a 10 yeah and so we do ask clients where they sit on that scale we find it um generally best though to say bronze silver and gold and even platinum um so new build costs in london you're looking at four to four hundred and fifty pounds um for bronze 600 650 for silver 800 to 850 for gold and a thousand plus for platinum and platinum is 10 on the oligarch scale okay and that's building from scratch correct okay uh what, what if the structure is already there so you're not building the house from from the ground up but you're sort of redoing all the interior is the scale still the same no it's it's you can you can um you can subtract from those figures, probably um, up to about 20%, okay. uh, maybe even 30%. I, I, it's um, often the case that when you take plaster off a wall or lift a floorboard, you find horrors that you didn't know existed. So surprisingly often, a refurbishment cost can come out pretty much the same as a new build cost. Interesting. Um, there was a a project recently I went to, not actually one of ours, where uh, at a very substantial grade, a grade one listed house in one of the big London squares, the clients had found that some of the supporting roof beams were rotten. Now, you'd think that just putting a beam back wasn't so serious. Unfortunately, because this was a listed house, they had to prop the entire house up to lift, in effect, the lid off the house Gosh. and put back those beams, adding an enormous amount to the cost. Yeah. And I think it might have been cheaper to build that house from scratch than do what they had to do. Yeah. So it, there is a risk there. That's why yeah. you can't always rely on those new build costs being, sorry, refurbishment costs yeah. being so much lower than They than can build. change. On an invest, from an investor's perspective, do you still think it makes sense to buy something on modernized and do it up versus buying something that is turnkey and you can move into? Camilla, I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling because you're the expert on this. <laughs> Look, I'm going to say yes, because I'm completely passionate about projects. Yeah. I mean, the satisfaction of doing something up and making it yeah. unique and your home mm -hmm. creates something that, that's often referred to as the living dividend. Yeah. So... In the short term, you may invest more than you might sell that property for the same year. Mm. But if you're living there for five years, you're getting five years pleasure of living there and then potentially some capital appreciation. Yeah. So I think those two factors are worth keeping in mind. Often with a new built house in the country, for example, our clients will say, is it worth investing this much? Now that only they can answer that, but we can say, as long as you're not going crazy, yeah. you're probably going to get your money back over the medium term at least. And you're going to have all the, the fun and pleasure of living there. Yeah. Good advice. I want to talk sort of moving topics slightly and talk about, uh, you know, talk about green issues in the environment. There's, a, there's an often cited statistic that the construction and operation of real estate contributes to approximately 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions, which shocked me when I, when I read that. 
Are you seeing clients becoming more sensitive to this when constructing their own homes? And would you say that residential is lagging commercial property when it comes to being greener? Yes, we are seeing it more than, say, five or ten years ago. Clients will increasingly put sustainability um, and green concerns at the top of their list of drivers on a new build project. By no means all clients, um, but a, a significant number of them will, will, will say that's the most important thing to them. And we, I think, are completing two or three projects at the moment where that has been a prime concern for our clients. What we've done in response, I, I believe, is really exciting. Um, we commissioned somebody who has advised the government on energy use in homes. It chaired their, their, their review, the government's review, to create what we call a carbon calculator. And that's a very simple, well, uh, simple in concept idea, is that you input lots of data into this spreadsheet around the size of a new build house, the materials, and so on. And outcomes a single figure for the CO2 output of that project. Now that in itself is not particularly radical as an idea, but what we've done then is said to our clients, we will pay out of Redbook for the entire offset of that carbon so that every project that's carried out through Redbook is carbon neutral. And we give our clients an audited account of where the offset has taken place. So for example, planting mangroves in Malaysia, um, or uh, another example would be creating, uh, contributing to a new solar, solar park, solar farm. So that's an end-to-end -end, um, audit trail. And what we hadn't anticipated was that planning consultants are saying to us, that's a really important, important part of their narrative. So if you're putting in for a, a new build house planning application, if you're able to say to the local authority, our project will be carbon neutral, mm. that counts for a lot yeah. in their sustainability strategy. So yeah. it's actually a, a real positive a when you're trying initiative. to get planning consent. Yeah, brilliant initiative. And how? what are the sorts of things that clients can do on a basic and sophisticated level mm. to try and make their homes more environmentally friendly? It's more challenging in London. Yeah. It's much easier in the country where you can um, very simply put in, uh, well, you can simply put in air source. If you have a bit of land, you can also look at putting in ground source um, uh, and indeed solar um, in, or, or wood chip, um, biomass boilers. In London, it's much harder. Mm. It's much, much harder. Mm. Um, and really, it comes down to proper insulation and sealing of your house. Now, a new built house is typically very energy efficient and very well sealed. Older properties, listed properties, where, where you're not allowed to put in double glazing, yeah. it's much, much harder. So it comes down to efficient door seals and window seals yeah. and proper lagging. Of course, with more energy efficient homes, they're hotter. And with global warming and summers getting hotter in London, a lot of our clients are now sort of asking us to only source them properties that have got air conditioning. Is air conditioning environmentally friendly? No, is it's not, and I have to say that almost all our clients in London say exactly the same thing. They they want to have air treatment for sure. Yeah. Um, particularly the clients from abroad. Yeah. It depends where your energy comes from. So if your energy is from a green source, uh, from renewables, then yes, it's entirely green. Yeah. But how easy is that to achieve? Yeah. Difficult. Difficult conundrum. <laughs>
I want to move on to properties that have character and, and heritage. I think many clients are drawn to the sort of quintessential English dream of finding traditional properties either in the countryside or London that have unique character and heritage with many of these properties regarded as being of special architectural and historic interests and therefore carrying listed building status what should a buyer specifically check before buying one of these old historic buildings? I think it's important to check and understand what each category of heritage listing means in terms of the restrictions it puts on you as an owner. So, for example, a Grade 2 listed house or flat um, is likely to be um, less bound with restrictions than a Grade 1. But equally, I think it's really important not to be put off because you can have a productive dialogue with the conservation officers in charge of the listings uh, at your local authority around what you can do to them whether it's putting in a new bathroom, for example, um, which is often the case in older houses, there aren't enough bathrooms. Yeah. Or it's uh, replacing, I don't know, a balustrade on a, on a staircase. I, I think the important thing is not to be put off and not to imagine you can't do things necessarily to it. We recently completed a very large 24,000 square foot grade one listed uh, house refurbishment in London. And most people would say, oh, you'll never be able to add anything to the outside of that. Well, because it was approached in the right way, we put very, very sophisticated team of conservation specialist architects and, and, and interior designers and builders on it. They actually managed to get 4,000 square foot of additional outside space added to a grade one listed building. So it just shows what you can do with the right team. Yeah, so clients shouldn't be put off listed buildings, just get the right advice really is the message. Yes, absolutely, Camilla. And I think you made the point so well when you said that they are drawn to the character, charm and heritage of these buildings. So actually the likelihood is they'll probably want to keep the bits yeah. that the conservation officers care so much about. Yeah. Or at least that, that would, there would be some middle ground there. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen over the years obviously before you've been involved um, with the clients I'm sure and what would your advice be to someone really keen to buy a property that needs a lot of work I think the biggest mistake I ever saw was that was a London house where a client from abroad had been persuaded to buy this property without having seen it um, by one of his associates and the associate then recommended an architect who had started work on this very substantial property. And we were brought in because one of the client's family had been on site and just thought things didn't feel right. Um, so we went to it and we found indeed that the architect they were using had been struck off oh. and was using the property as his own office oh while excluding the builders from the site. So it effectively been a cuckoo in the nest and it was fascinating actually looking back on it, it was some years ago that as one walked around the site you could just if you have experience of building sites sense there was something wrong quite quickly because the health and safety was just non-existent there was sort of gaping holes through the floorboards and um, you know no 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 um, proper site safety and, and that's of course a red flag mm. at the very first 
And then as we started looking into it, it reveals itself. And what we did there was we put in a sort of forensic project manager who, who worked out exactly what was going on. And eventually yeah. the project was got back on track with a different team. But it's so difficult for clients if they don't know that Redbook exists and they're trying to do this on your own like you did back in 2003. I mean, what sorts of things, obviously there's asking for recommendations, asking around, asking your friends, but other than sort of being recommended and getting a recommendation, what sorts of things should clients be asking of their interior designer, architect, contractor to make sure they're not getting into bed with a nightmare supplier? I think you know, some very straightforward sort of things that, that uh, common sense suggests and, and most people would do is they, they would check they're a, a reputable business and have a portfolio of, I think to check that they have a portfolio of comparable projects is critical. Yeah. So same kind of size. Yeah. Is it listed or not, that the other projects they've done? Because you, you want to have people with listed building experience if you have a listed house. Um, people who are used to working with the same budget that you have in mind. I, th- I think particularly difficult when it comes to interior designers, funny enough, because there are two ways of really assessing whether an interior designer is really aligned for you in terms of cost. One is obviously their fees, but the other less visible thing or less easy to access is the size of budgets they're used to dealing with. Mm. Because you could agree with an, uh, an interior designer that their fees look reasonable and then find, well, actually, they're used to dealing with a budget four or five times yours and all their suppliers will therefore be at a very high end Mm. and they won't be able to source the kind of goods you're looking for at the price point you need yeah so past experience and looking at projects yeah that's and and i suppose speaking to past clients to get you know actual references as well that's all good advice what's the most challenging project you've worked on sandy do you know camilla they're, they're all challenging in their way um <laughs> because we, we i think to be in our business and probably in yours too you have to be very empathetic um you have to enjoy projects and you have to be empathetic and i think that what we see because we get close to our clients very close to them uh, two to the couple possibly even to their children and and we are on a journey with them for their project and it's tremendously important to every single client. It's, it's about home. It's about often about family. Um, it's about their future and, and their dreams, actually. Because just as when somebody buys a, a property with your help, when they launch a project through us, there is a vision. Mm. And um, I think, you know, we are absolutely tied to that vision. You know, we have put the team together and so emotionally tied. But I think also, obviously, in, in business terms, you know, if we were to put a team together or, or introduce a single interior designer or architect or whoever it might be to a project and they underperformed, our business suffers immediately, um, the, the, the damage. So we're, we're committed in every way, I think. Yeah. So every project is, is sounds a bit trite, but is equally important. What about the most fun projects? You must see some crazy things and amazing things but if you had to sort of choose one moment or one aspect of 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 a job that was the most fun what would it be i think the fun bit in every project is hearing a client's express and they're very good at this they're all very good at this even if they don't have the language of design at their fingertips um at, at, at expressing their vision 
And that's just so fun, hearing that bit. But one stands out. I remember I was on a site in the country, um, a client from abroad, beautiful estate, house listed, big country house in, in a bit of a wreck, hadn't been touched for years. And we were talking about all the things they wanted to do to the interiors. And then we came to talk about the grounds, and the gardens and so on. They said, oh, yes, we want a swimming pool. I said, yeah, it's a listed building that can present challenges. But, you know, let, let, let's look in detail at that. And he said, well, this is quite a special swimming pool. This is going to be 100 yards long. Wow. I thought, wow, that's a big pool. I've What's seen that one before meters? that flows before. What's 100 um, yards in metres? About 100 metres. Wow. And I said, OK, that's, that's a big pool. And it's, I said, but the land is quite undulating. And they said, yes, that's why it's going to be built on arches. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's going to be raised above the ground. And it's going to be like, they actually said, it's going to be like that train rail viaduct yeah, in viaducts. Harry Potter. Oh, my goodness. So the idea was it was going to be built on very pretty brick arches well above the ground and going... 100 meters and did you build it uh, it's going through planning wow and are, are they a family that are keen swimmers immensely keen swimmers <laughs> maybe training their children I'm for the olympics <laughs> michael phelps <laughs> how extraordinary well i look forward to maybe seeing a photo one day of that that sounds incredible sandy you've built an incredible business and team over the last decade including the recent hire of lord andrew hay um who used to run knight frank um What's your secret to success? That's such a nice question. I, I think never allowing ourselves to miss giving to clients what we promise, be that a timeline or a set of deliverables. I, I think I'm right in saying, and I'm certainly proud in saying, that I don't think we've ever missed one in 12 years. And I think that sort of commitment takes an almost obsessive because uh, projects are always delayed. Desire, our own deliverables that we're in control yeah. of. Okay, yeah. 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 And yeah. managing expectations, I suppose. Yeah, that's the... important too. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. I think that's, a, that, that's so right, Camilla. I'm sure it comes into what the advice you give. Yeah. Managing expectations so clients aren't disappointed and being realistic, being actually quite bold yeah. in managing expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very similar with our business. <laughs> We always like to end our podcasts by asking our guests to recommend um, their top tips. Um, so, Sandy, if you had to recommend two tips to somebody looking at buying a property that needs work, what would they be? Well, the first one would be do it. It's really exciting and fun. Take, take really good advice on, um, on the cost and how long it's likely to take um, because people one hears I, I have to say not with our clients but one hears about people biting off more than they can chew and that's utterly miserable um so but non despite that warning i would say with sensible advice absolutely go for it it's the most satisfying thing in the world and i i, I would warn you though it's addictive um pull off one good project and you would just want to do another one so that's my second piece of advice watch out <laughs> interesting i think if i had to follow that i would say use a buying agent to source your project. That would be my top tip. Thank you so much for tuning in to Finding Perfect Property today. And thank you so much for Sandy for joining us. For more information about how to purchase property in Prime Central London, please get in touch via our website. 
And don't forget to like and subscribe on whichever podcast channel you use to listen. See you next time. Thank you.